Seeing by Moonlight, a novel by M. F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle, read by Thomas Viborg Thune. Purchase a copy of Seeing by Moonlight. Visit Amazon or any online bookstore. Ten. If you have the sense and people's feelings come to you like waves of light, that awareness can be reinforced or it can be blocked. Blocked? Alex was still waiting to understand what a seer was and if anyone was going to explain to him how he could end up as one. Yes, like the moon blocks the sun in an eclipse, but perhaps dampened is the better word. That is what Uncle was demonstrating with the hat. Certain of us act almost like antennas, receiving and broadcasting that sensitivity and amplifying it for everyone. The hat's magnetic effect interferes with that. Alex had a leap of intuition. This is you, the antenna effect. This is what happened to me when we met. Elisa seemed to blush. It may be I was not aware before now that I could be one of them. Till now the only one I've known has been Uncle. Philibert? He's an antenna? Elise's eyes went wide as if trying to convey an enormity. Alex, he is an antenna for the entire world. I call him my light. All of us, you included, are stronger because of him. Not just because of the work he has done through this school, but because of his power. He has enemy because of it, like that man who accosted us on the train. I've been so lucky to have always had uncle in my life, and it will be a horror when he someday dies. Before he developed his power, before he understood it, to hear him tell it, we were all in darkness. Alex couldn't help but undercut the grandiosity. Your darkness is the ordinary life I was living just fine until you showed up. Elisa countered. But you have always enjoyed the benefits, whether you knew where they came from or not. Success in sales, success with women, you were cultivating your advantages. Uncle has done the same. His shrewdness in business, his political influence, they are all woven together with this natural gift, and he has put it to the best possible use for us all. He was doing it for you before he even knew you. But is that fair? People are born with different IQs, different body potentials and emotional makeups. We are all stared in our lives by these things. It's not about fair, it's about how we use what we were blessed with. Alex had heard versions of this argument play out in some of his hobnobbing with the well-to-do of Silverland. Rewards to those who deserve them by applying their talents. It sounded so simple and natural and had a timeless appeal, but even then it was a larger conversation than Alex felt comfortable in, and in this context the idea had far more earth-shaking implications. Bluntly, he finally asked, What's a seer? Elisa took an intense breath. 
Uncle says that a rare few don't just perceive these waves, but can project their sense along them. Properly trained, they could see into locked rooms, find people from miles away, even make an image of themselves visible there, like a ghost at a seance. But he says that the discipline required is extraordinary, and the effort dangerously taxing. Alex wondered if he could remember any moments, strange dreams, stranger daydreams, flashes of insight, that might resemble the what she described. This was the bedeviling thing about something as ephemeral as the mind's signal. When you accepted that you were ordinary, and lived in a world without the strange and supernatural, these things were normal, and you laughed about them in sharing because they were just part of the funny and inexplicable nature of the brain, and yet you might wonder at night. But even now there wasn't real clarity, and it dawned on Alex that knowledge of this aspect of him didn't make those impressions any more sure or reliable. They could still be random or impulsive leaps of his emotion or ego. The wounded dreams of an adopted little boy. He glimpsed the edge of an awesome responsibility to separate what he sensed from what he felt. For now, though, better to stick with practical questions. So, do I sign up for classes? Elisa stood and stretched many hours' worth of kinks out of her bones. It will be your choice whether or not to tell Uncle next time you see him, although something tells me he will know you have something to say. The sun was setting on what Alex believed had to be the longest and most revolutionary day of his life. It had managed to trump yesterday. He had no idea what he would find, or if anyone would be there at this hour, but Alex was determined to visit the address where the young Claremont Procler had gone for her advanced studies. He couldn't sleep until he at least saw it. Elisa suggested he go on his own, although she was confident there was not a cranny of the school she had not examined as a girl, she believed enough in the possibility that Alex could be a seer, that she volunteered to stay at the kinder academy and search for the second file room he had glimpsed. She had a cell phone, and a staffer was good enough to lend one to Alex, so they could stay in touch as he went to investigate. Although Philibert's driver was standing by, Alex opted to walk, hoping that the directions he had would guide him through the winding old streets, just him, a one-of-a-kind super-powered seer, against the layout of an old German town. He would probably get lost. Funny how, with each passing minute, the more outlandish and unbelievable his conversation with Elisa seemed. He had hoped that the walk in the summer evening might calm him, like all those excursions into the desert long ago. But he felt a strange discomfort swelling inside his bones and a dullness in his mind, sensations that were at the threshold of pain, but stopped just short at debilitating distraction and annoyance. Fatigue, stress, 
alienation more profound than all those exalted orphan traumas he carried, and her. What was he feeling for Elisa? Did he want her? Worship her? Were they attracting each other as people, or simply as magnetic wavelengths? Were there more than elements that could be charted to draw them together by natural principle? Did he, Alex Pike, amount to anything more? Did it even matter, in the face of such mysterious and fundamental gravities? Alex realized that when he was around her, he was less likely to see such questions as important. Was that a good thing or a bad thing? He needed to speak with his mother, but where to begin? How much to reveal about what he had learned? How could he even know if he had reached the bottom of her trunk of secrets? How much would her denials hurt, now that they would carry with them the fresh stab of a thousand old lies? Alex rounded a corner and saw devastation. The building was hollow, decaying, blackened on the inside. It looked like a hundred-year-old factory, and while boarded up, with the boards marked with a generation of graffiti, it otherwise sat amongst ordinary homes and shops, an incongruous looming specter. Alex didn't know if buildings could have auras, but this one, while clearly long dead, seemed to project an echo that said, Leave me be. He peeked through a gap in the boards on a window and saw just dim glimpses of big interior spaces, blasted ceilings, rubble. The street lamps had come on, but the building would not drink in any of the light. Small sounds came from within. A rat scrambling or a derelict shifting in his sleep, or maybe just air dragging some old paper across the floor. Don't let them get you. The voice made Alex jump. He stepped back from the window and saw an older gentleman, very tall, with an instantly charming face. Dressed kindly in bow tie and cap, arm in arm with a woman who must be his wife. The voice was American, which was the last thing about the whole startling moment that Alex caught on to. I'm sorry, good evening. You're American? he said, suddenly noticing that he had been holding his breath at the window. I am. The good lady is German, and she won't let you forget it. The man laughed, and the woman beamed, and he offered a hand to Alex. Merton Plector, and my wife, Odelia, always happy to run into a Yankee. Alex took it and shook. Alex Pike, running into more Yankees than I thought were still in Germany. Merton grinned. Sometime you leave home to find home, isn't that right? Alex couldn't believe how right he was. You aren't kidding. What did you mean, don't let them get you? Merton made a gesture, inviting Alex to join them on the evening stroll. And Alex had no reason not to follow as Merton spun his tail. Oh, spook stories, you know. That's the building on the block the kids always dare each other to go inside. If they're alone, they'll run by it. I understand it used to be a school of some kind. That? Maybe. I always understood it to be more like a kind of church. 
Hard to know what went on inside. There wasn't much in this whole neighborhood back then, but uh, you had heard things. Strange things going on inside. People there kept to themselves. You lived there back then? But how did it work as a church if it got bombed during the war? Merton and Odelia stopped. It didn't. Son, that place got bombed in 1966. 1966. That year again. Alex joined the couple for a beer. Although he frequently checked the borrowed phone to see if Elisa was trying to reach him, nothing so far. Animated and warm, Merton made for good company. He was probably happy to have an American to speak with. Odelia spoke little, but understood English quite well and would sometimes quietly correct some of the more colorful details of her husband's account. The Advanced Studies Building, even when whole and active, had apparently been a subject of mystery and speculation throughout this quarter of Nuldhausen. People would talk about weird noises and flickering lights, how the silhouettes at the windows made it seem like there were more people there than were ever seen to come or go. Gossip thrives in poverty, and the post-war Nordhausen, ground under by communism, derived much gossip from this building. It was Stasi, it was Hitler, alive and plotting, it was Druids. Actually, Merton claimed with a wink, most of the men hoped it was a whorehouse. This earned an embarrassment harumph from Odelia. So who bombed it? Alex finally asked, hoping to get away from the idea of it being a whorehouse as quickly as possible. Merton leaned in and whispered, Why, I did it! Alex looked stunned, and then Merton laughed aloud. Oh, son, the look on your face! Actually, the police did question me when it happened. I was the only American in town, and the only reason I was dumb enough to live in East Germany once the wall went up was that I'd gone and fallen in love with this lady during the war. Being an American naturally made me a probable radical and subversive and decadent influence and what all else. Every rock and roll record that snuck into town was blamed solely on me, so they would bring me in and shine the lights on me just to keep up appearances. I think. And this was abominable, a bombing, dozens of people killed. So who really did it? No one was ever arrested. I think that's part of what haunts the building. No one knows what they were doing, or why someone would want to kill them. Nobody knew the people inside, and they never knew the perpetrators either. They were all just strangers, living a parallel life in the shadows of our own community. It reminds us that things are always going on that we are ignoring. For most of the conversation, Alex had felt enthralled to Merton's sense of history. But now, Alex was the one who knew just how apt Merton's epigram was in this case. And then Alex heard a strange jangling tune, a tiny melody like a cuckoo clock chime. He looked around, mystified. Does anyone else hear that? Merton pointed discreetly. I believe it's coming from your pocket. The phone. 
Alex scrambled to retrieve it and answer. Uh, hello? Alex, Elisa. Even the sound of her voice was a bomb now, and he felt some of that heavy blanket of disorientation and sloth unravel. Elisa, just one second. He looked to Merton to excuse himself. It's my friend, and it's important. Forgive me. Merton waved it off graciously and handed Alex a business card. We never found out why you're in town, Mr. Alex Pike, but come see Odelia and I before you leave. We insist. Alex took the card, although with the recent tendency of this world to get upended on an hourly basis, he was unsure whether he would be able to honor social obligations. He made a futile attempt to contribute to the bill, and then stepped outside onto the street. What have you found? Elisa's voice sounded hushed, and echoed even over the phone. Alex, you are right. I found a second file room. It is behind a wall in the pantry. I do not think the staff even knows it's here. Just incredible! Alex unconsciously started to walk back in the direction of the school. Behind him he saw Merton and Odelia exiting the tavern, waving exuberantly at him like a beloved relative about to depart on a long trip. He raised a polite hand in response, and then hurried his steps. What's in the files? Anything about me, my mother? But that is what is so strange, Alex. It's nothing about a school at all. It's all schematics and mathematics. Invoices and reports, I cannot make sense of any of them. I admit that this is science, which I was always very poor at, but I have a guess. Alex felt a reluctance, and a kind of dark gravity in the way she let that last thought dangle. Elisa had demonstrated so much openness and courage, anything she was reluctant to voice had to be a serious matter. What is your guess? There's a village called Penemunde, far to the north on an island. The name is all over these files. The reason every German knows the name is because what they made in Penemunde during the war. These reports are full of descriptions of metals and thrust. Penemunde is where they made the rockets. Suddenly Alex remembered what Uncle Herbert had told him about Nuldausen. They made rockets here, too. Yes, this is where the rocketry program was moved after Penemunde was destroyed by the Allies. So what does the school have to do with the rocketry program? There was a long silence. Maybe Elisa needed to grapple now with a hidden layer to this place that had done so much to nurture and encourage her, that made her feel safe and alive and loved and special as a child. Alex had a lot of sympathy under the circumstances. If she had to suddenly accommodate that there were greater and darker activities occurring behind the walls. But more seconds passed, and this was beyond any normal mid-conversation reflection. Elisa? Alex asked. Still, there was only silence on the other end. Then he heard her voice, wordless but agonized. A kind of shrill mm. And from halfway across town, 
Alex felt a bolt of pain light up his skull. He knew this feeling. It was like the airplane that morning, her seizure in the seat. He heard a sharp knocking sounds like someone striking or kicking a wall. He thought about what she said, that the staff might not even know that room existed. He ran. His lungs burned and every beat of his heart seemed to swell against the constraints of his skull. He would not let himself slow down, because he knew that as long as he felt some of that pain, she was feeling it too. The streets weren't familiar, but they vanished. He was only running along a line, a curving crooked line that led back to her. He wanted to see, no, to see. He strained to look ahead, to use that gift she had found in him. What did it take? Deep breaths, closed eyes. Did he need to touch the ring? All he got from his strain to trigger what was still a mystery inside him was lost equilibrium. His vision narrowed as his efforts threatened to black him out. He couldn't afford it. He had to run. He found the school and ran through the wall gate into the garden. As he hurried towards the main building, he saw lights flipping on throughout. Children waking up. Alex realized that every child there had some level of the sense. To them, the combination of Elise's suffering and his panic would be as loud as a howl at the moon. One of the staff recognized him, an important bit of luck, because he could barely speak and looked so sweaty and desperate. He finally managed the word pantry, and, while shaking, the staffer pointed the right way down the hall and followed worriedly behind as Alex ran. He could feel her getting closer, but something else, something was dimming, flattening out. Was she unconscious, or worse, was the seizure damaging her brain? How much more fraught and critical the thought was now of any harm coming to her mind, to any of their minds. Looking frantically around a small larder, he saw a wall pushed just inches open, and her foot sticking out. Had she been kicking the door open so she could be found? He pulled the door the rest of the way open and saw her. Movement. The first relief. She was lying on the floor, body cinched up, twitching. Her eyes were closed, and between each sharp exhalation, her face seemed almost serene, total calm, jarred only by an ever-slowing pulse. Muscles burning, he lifted her onto a long butcher's table. He saw one fist closed around something. With soothing strokes along her arm, he took his hand up her fingers and then urged them open. Inside was the sample case given to her by the doctor on the plane. And now the horrible question. Had she taken a pill? He didn't know how many had been there to begin with. What if she needed one? What if two were too many? This was agony. Alex didn't think anyone he cared for so much had ever needed his help this badly, and yet to not know what to do. The staffer brought a cool wet cloth, and this seemed like a start. Alex dabbed at her brow, her hands all around her face and neck. The whole world was going grey and quiet around them. The world was shrinking. 
Alex didn't know why, and he didn't care. He only cared about the heartbeat that came next. Sinking down to his knees, he pressed his forehead into her hair so his lips were right by her ears. Nausea rocked his body as he forced himself to breathe slowly and more quietly. His heart kept right on thudding. Elisa, he whispered, Elisa, Elisa. He imagined sending that whisper wandering into the storm of her mind to find her, to guide her out. He didn't know how long he stayed like that, long enough for his body to find the aches inside it, for the sweat in his hair to cool. He had put his hand inside hers, waiting to feel the first movement. Her breathing was now that of deep sleep. It felt like an instinctive healing state, a restorative trance. Another staffer, older and matronly, came into the pantry and whispered urgently at her colleague, who left them alone at last. Alone. That word suddenly resonated. Alex felt loneliness like an underground cavern. He wondered if the children of the Kinder Academy felt some of the same sensation, how much worse it would be for them. At least he had a hint of what was happening to them. They would be helpless, suddenly and undeservedly splashed, with this feeling of being abandoned by something they didn't know could be taken from them. He had been here, he had been at this school. How did he know? How did he suddenly totally know? Did he recognize this pantry? Was this a breakthrough of memory or just this intense keening in him, seizing a safe harbor? He had no proof beyond fragments in his mind that had suddenly snapped together, interlocking like nut and bolt. And then, movement in her fingers, a weak clenching around his hand, a deep and wide intake of oxygen that echoed in her throat on the way down. Alex spoke her name again, trying to tow her consciousness and to shore. The moment her eyes opened, he believed, this smothered feeling would go away. But then they opened, and the world stayed grey and quiet. Alex felt so much relief seeing her wake, seeing her recognize him, but there was something missing. Not her personality, which he could now spy in the tiniest curve of her lip, nor her intellect, which he saw switch back on just in the worried way she looked him over, the way she put a hand on his damp shirt to feel his heartbeat, to massage it down if, he, if she could. She hadn't said a word, and yet Alex knew she was fully present. Was that something extra? The sense Alex had known existed even three days ago. That was gone. He couldn't see the luminous edge of her feelings. Couldn't feel the enlivening vibration that came from being around her. Alex, she whispered, I took one of the pills. How horrible this feels. Is this what it's like for everyone else? purchase a copy of Seeing by Moonlight, visit Amazon or any online bookstore. Seeing by Moonlight, a novel by M. F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle. 
Read by Thomas Vyborg Thune.